Hello, my name is Larry Dobrow, and welcome to the MMM Podcast. We have a great guest today. We have Linda Rushaw, who's the Chief Client Officer at Patient Point. We're going to talk with her in a second, but before we get going, let's do our usual collection of plugs. Um, MMM's best places of, to work. The details will be available soon, so please check out our social media channels for details. Um, we our next virtual event is MMM Transform, which will be taking place on September 30th and October 1st. Um, we don't have the full agenda up live yet, but um, please check out in a couple days when we will. And finally, the virtualized MMM awards are set for October 8th. So clear your calendars, you know, get a sitter for the pets and the kids, you name it. Um, it should be a really good show. So yeah, we have Linda from Patient Point here today. She's a, a good friend of MMM, one of our favorite interviews. Linda, thanks so much for joining us. Larry, it's always a pleasure to speak with you and any of my friends at MMM. Thank you so much for asking me to be a part of this of the series. All right. You know, we, we chatted a little bit before we hit record, but um, I, I feel the need to, you know, start with the question I've been asking everybody first over the last couple of weeks. Um, how are you? How is everybody at Patient Point? Um, how is the brave new virtual world treating you? So I think I'm like everyone, right? Tired of Zoom calls and ready to see people face to face again. But it, it, <laughs> absolutely, I think we've all tried to adapt to this whole virtual world. But as I tell people, I'm an extroverted hugger. So for me, this has been particularly painful. <laughs> and we really do so much in the virtual happy hour. So I really miss uh, miss being out there after spending 25 years traveling three weeks a month. This has been a, an interesting transition, but you know, the team at Patient Point, we have been as busy as ever. Um, when I hear friends saying that they've taken this time to catch up on Netflix binges, I'm so envious because we have just been completely swamped, which I guess is a really good thing for business. I was gonna say, you know, you'd rather have that than the alternative, but uh, to your point, yeah, I think I've read four pages of a book since this started in March and that bummed uh, me out. <laughs> booyah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No fun, but no. Thanks for asking. We're we're doing great, and we're in Cincinnati, so uh, good old Midwestern company based on our Procter and Gamble roots. So so we're a little bit out of the the hot spot that you all have had to be dealing with. And just you know, my heart goes out to everyone who's who's been touched in so many ways by this pandemic, and just hoping and praying that we get it under control soon and go back to a new normal. Amen. You know, and it's funny, a couple of weeks ago, we were saying like, you know, a new normal and kind of saying the air quotes around it, like the quote unquote new normal, you know, yes. I'll, I'll take whatever it is, as long as it's something vaguely resembling what we had before. Exactly. I'm fine with my mask, right? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I got one up. I'm, I'm almost embarrassed to say this publicly, but what the hell, we're all friends here. Um, you know, everybody in my family, my kids, my sisters, my parents, we're trying to come up with some kind of a clever mask for a family occasion that we had socially distanced, of course, about a week or two ago. And the one I came up with, um, I got a mask patterned like Eddie Van Halen's guitar, and I'm really oh. proud of it. So uh, I have to find a way to feature that and embarrass myself on a much wider scale. Okay, so I know what we're gonna do for <laughs> with this podcast, Larry, because I have one that's a Prince mask. So we're gonna have to do, do? something. <laughs> photograph to accompany this this podcast for our, for our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. All right. So, uh, you know, one, one of the reasons I wanted to you know, speak with you, you know, we had talked for another story a couple months ago, but um, the, there was the sense at the beginning of the year that the point of care space was really, really thriving prior to the pandemic. 
Um, when when the when the offices were shut down, and everything else though, it didn't seem that everybody said, "Well, you know, we're just going to wait this thing out." You know, companies and especially Patient Point almost went out of their way to be like, "You know what? This is the hand we've been dealt. Let's deal with it." You know, I mean, you did Point of Care everywhere. Um, you did the partnership with Captivate. Tell me a little bit about the initial thinking when everything hit in March, when everything shut down in March, and um, how it was to make that pivot. Boy, those were crazy times. It's funny, and I remember March 17th were the stay-at-home orders issued for the state of Ohio. And as that you know, spread across the nation, it, it was mass panic, quite candidly, I think from our clients, from internal, what does this mean, right? Are people actually still gonna be going to the doctor's office? And what does this mean for our business? And so, you know, we very quickly, catapulted um, from a company of 450 to the old entrepreneurial patient point of a company of 45. And, and I often, Mike Collette, our CEO, and I have, have often laughed and said it took us back to our roots, right? And in a very positive way. So the first step was really just trying to understand what was going on out there. And I think that's that was such a continued concern and, and frustration, not just for, for us as marketers and, and pharma marketers and business people, but as general, you know, just general people, what was going on? There was such a need for information. So we quickly established, uh, deployed all of our forces that were normally going out to call on doctor, doctor's offices in person to do a reach out to every single practice to better understand what was the dialogue. Are people still coming in to see you? We know it's not business as normal, but are people still going to the doctor's office? And the resounding answer was yes. So then it was, okay, if they're in, what do we need to do differently? So we very quickly deployed to, for, for example, our, our interactive devices. We quickly had to deploy to non-touch solutions because there's probably a lot of people, myself included, um, don't want to touch things. And I don't know about you, Larry, but after this hit, did you ever stop and think about how many things you touched in a day? Oh, boy. Yes. Right? The elevator, the gas station pump, the keypad at the grocery store. I mean, we were touching things all the time. So I do think, you know, the after effects of what we're going through now will forever be changed in terms of our sensitivity to touch and cleanliness and sterilization. But we had to really deploy those resources to, to ensure that patients felt safe to engage with our products, regardless of, of the, 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 the medium, so that they could get that education that they needed. Um, the, the quote that I love best from Shelly Glenn, the, the CMO of Florida Cancer Specialist is, oncology and cancer does not stop because of COVID. And that's what we had to realize and help our clients and agency partners understand is patients still need to get their treatment. They have to go see the doctor for diagnosis and treatment decisions. So it was really just, again, I think providing the information, the comfort um, and, and the solutions that really allowed us to adapt as an industry to this, to this new world we're all living in. Do you think there was a bit of a geographical divide? Um, you know, certainly a lot of pharma is based in, you know, the Northeast. And, you know, that was one of the areas where COVID hit hard very early in the pandemic. Um, you know, I, I think there was almost, I think, you know, from where we are, you know, we're in the Northeast, you know, we're based in New York City, even though we have not seen our offices for some time. But there was this sense that, well, if everything stopped here, it's got to be stopped everywhere else, which was, I think, pretty clearly not the case in retrospect. 
Oh, you're a hundred percent right, Larry. And and I think that was one of the issues, right? People were assuming because where's the majority of pharma, right? You're in the Northeast. And so you assume that everything across the entire country is that way. And, and I'm drawing a total blank, but I'll find the study and send it to you afterwards. Um, that they, it was one of those, um, an oncology study in terms of the impact of treatment, canceled appointments, um, et cetera, based on the four geographic regions. And, and it varied from, you know, a decline in office visits of 3% in the, across the Midwest to 37% in the Northeast pockets. So again, depending on where you were, you're spot on. The, the, the degree of impact was very greatly. Um, you know, getting back to what you said in the answer, you know, prior to the last one, um, how, how much of a philosophical adjustment um, did, did you guys have to make? Was it something where it was, okay, you know, we're going to be dealing with this for a little while. Um, I mean, it, it, it's amazing to me that there are still some people that are like, let's wait and see. It's like, well, you know, after, you know, I think we're in what, month six of this thing. If you're still in wait and see mode, you're probably not doing too well. Um, how, how tough was it to kind of just say, let's, let's just, you know, let's just make our changes right now. Let's, you know, let's, accept this as our new reality and, you know, go back to doing what we do. Yeah. I, I, and again, I think none of us, at least for my, my own personal self, I didn't expect that we would still be conducting business virtually in August when this started in March. Right. So I, I think the difference is we said we, we knew we needed to act very quickly and deploy new solutions very, very quickly because the world was moving at a faster pace than we'd ever seen before. But we may have thought that those were more temporary measures that would likely go back to normal. Now we realize and all of us realize and recognize that there is a new normal. There is a new way of conducting business. And so those ideas and concepts, the QR code scans, the the non-tote, the non-touch, the partnerships with some mobile messaging, those are now things to stay and going to be a more integral part of the business versus a, a kind of you know, uh, a, a one-off or a, a, the icing on the cake per se, they're now a part of our core business and how we help our doctors provide the care and how we help our clients reach those patients. Was there kind of a, kind of a eureka moment where, you know, you, you and Mike looked at each other and said like, all right, you know, we've, I, I don't want to say figured it out because clearly nobody has figured anything out. Uh, you know, on, some, on a big scale, on a small scale, anything like that. But was there one moment where you kind of looked at each other and said, you know what, things are, things are going to be all right. You know, we're headed in the right direction. You know, um, you know, we're able to provide what our clients need. We're able to provide what our colleagues need. Boy, um, I don't know if I'd say there was a moment, but there was definitely after probably the first month and a half, to, you know, once we were able to get some data, that, that was the problem. Um, you know, initially, when you're seeing stay-at-home orders, you assume that everyone is staying staying home and not doing anything. We know now that that's not the case. We wouldn't still be fighting this pandemic, for goodness sake. But there was once we were able to get the data, and, and we actually utilized patient-level claims data, so you could see if patients were still actually going into offices, we were able to see, okay, Things may be going crazy in the world and people are not going to bars or parties, but they are still going to the doctor's office. Now, how they're behaving when they get there, how long they're waiting, where they're waiting, how they engage may change. But 
thank goodness, right, of all the things that people may not do, they're still going to get their health care. And, and I think the industry, too, is as, you know, that data became available, I saw our pharma clients start to, okay, right? <laughs> the world is not over for pharma, but you have to understand what's changed for them, too, right? I mean, what has, how has pharma historically really driven impact with the physician? It's, it's via reps, right? And so you've got these humongous pharmaceutical sales forces that now can't get access to physicians. Um, and, you know, as we were talking earlier before the call started, how our world has changed via all these virtual health calls and Zoom calls. Well, pharma reps had trouble getting in to see the doctors to begin with. Now we want to try to get them in to do a Zoom call and virtual calls. Wow. Yeah. But that's the part of the industry that I think is still trying to catch up, right? How do we, and doctors are now realizing, okay, I, I did need to see those pharma reps. There was a reason, right? I need some of that information. And pharma saying, what do I, how am I going to do this? Right. So, so that is still a piece that I think there's a lot of opportunity. And we're actually piloting some, some really interesting pieces there. But, but that's the piece. I think we've, we've nailed the patient side. We know what's happening in the office. And now it's how do you figure out to re, how to really engage the doctors with the information they need and pharma wants them to have? Um, tell me about, you know, tell me about some of the conversations you had with your, you know, practice, your physician and your practice partners. Um, what were some of the early ones like and how, if at all, has the tenor of them changed in the last uh, maybe six weeks or so? You know, early on, they had the same reaction that I think all of us did. And so one of the other pieces I spoke to, you know, that we, we catapulted to non-touch solutions, but the other piece and everyone in point of care as a channel I'm really, really proud of this industry and, and how we responded. So my colleagues across the point of care spectrum, I, I don't want to take credit just at patient point. You know, we all developed content on COVID. We were tracking the World Health Organization updates. We were tracking CDC updates and quickly developed and pushed that content out to all the physician's offices because where are people going to be more focused on their health and how to prevent their health than in the physician's office? And we actually had some anecdotal, you know, qualitative observations they were saying, quite candidly, guys, you may think nobody's in the waiting room. I'm seeing patients never more focused than before on, on the digital screens and the waiting rooms because yeah. it's all COVID content and that's they're so hyper-focused, right? So deploying, and that really speaks to the value of, of this channel and deploying that content. So that was something that providers were very, very happy about. Um, in some of those early calls, I can remember one specific example, one of our ambassadors who that's the team that's responsible for keeping those relationships said the office manager just started to cry you know, and just said, thank you for asking me how I'm doing. It was that kind of human touch that sometimes we forget, right? And, and business. And it was such a humbling moment to feel like we really do have a chance to make a difference and, and try to do something good during this crazy time. So there was a lot of stress as that progressed. Um, you know, a lot of, you read in healthcare, there were a lot of physician offices and some of the smaller practices just cannot survive being shut down. Um, we know that they were into a lot of telehealth. Well, the typical reimbursement for telehealth, some of that's been corrected now, but early on, you know, they were getting half for a telehealth visit that they would for an in-person visit. So they needed to reopen, right? They're, they're part of our economy as well as our healthcare system. And so there was concerns 
from some of the systems and independent doctors on whether they were going to be able to stay alive as a business. So that was one of the other pieces, right? Is, is how do we, and that's, yeah, that's a tough one to take on, but, but I think they, the, the healthcare system quickly realized number one for people's long-term health, but also to make sure that we have doctor's offices out there for the time that we need them is, is we have to get people back out in the office. And so again, I do feel like certainly no one thinks it's over. Certainly the policies have changed. You have to wear a mask, you have to get your temperature taken. Um, you sit every other chair in a waiting room versus you know the packed waiting rooms with everybody on top of each other. But I do feel like they've adapted now. And, and that's the difference when people say this isn't over. It's, it's not over. And we know that there's likely going to be another surge just like there is in, uh, with the traditional flu. But I think now we're all a little bit better prepared for it. We know what to do. We know to wear the masks. We know to wash our hands. We know not to go out if you have a fever. And doctor's offices have that protocol in place as well. So it's it's really been following that the continuum and the gamut of, of their emotional needs as well as their business needs. Yeah, you know, I, I tell you to, you know, to build on what you just said, I was incredibly impressed by the couple of doctor's offices that, you know, we've seen over the last I don't know what, three or four months, um, you know, it was almost like, a, you know, this is the hands we've been dealt. We're going to play it. You know, we're not happy about it. You're not happy about it. But um, I don't know. My kids are a little bummed out. They don't get to see in the fish in the waiting room. But, you know, they right. can play with their iPads in the car while they're waiting. So maybe the <laughs> virtual waiting room works as well, you know. <laughs> right. Right. Um, you know, too, I, I want I want to talk to you. We talked about this earlier, but um, the you know, point of care everywhere and how you know patient points been pushing this, and I think it's something which probably it probably had its seeds earlier than than you know the pandemic. Um, tell me a little bit about its evolution and about where it is right now in its uh, evolution. Sure. So uh, to your point, Larry, you, you're exactly right again uh, that this was something. <laughs> Up, right? We've been tracking, obviously, we're, that's the foundation of our business is engaging doctors and patients. And so tracking how they're engaging. And, and we saw this world of, of virtual health starting to take hold just as virtual meetings are virtual, right? We, we do everything virtually that we didn't do even two years ago. And so it was certainly on the roadmap, but boy, this is this has pushed it front and center very, very quickly. So you know, the, uh, just briefly about our approach, if, if you've studied this industry, you know, the thing that I always start with is it is an incredibly fragmented industry. To your point, it was it was coming about and people had had random experiences. If the average patient, uh, the average population, 3% had utilized telehealth before the pandemic. Um, that was an Amwell stat that I heard on, on another webinar that I was a part of. Um, and so 3% is not very much, right? So, you, so well, I think we're all paying attention. How important was that? And the traditional use of telehealth also was quite interesting. And, and that has changed. 55% of the time, a patient would get a, a an antibiotic. And so I don't know, at the time that I would use telehealth is for, I know I've got a sinus infection. I can't get into the doctor. I need an antibiotic. I'm be honest. That's yep. what I use. Kids, kids earache, you know? Yeah. Exactly. It's after hours or I don't feel like going all the way to the doctor. And so it was a fine experience, but I don't think I would have thought about using telehealth if I was really worried that something was wrong. You know, would you? No, God. No, <laughs> uh, yeah. absolutely I mean, not. Listen, yeah, I mean, so there's that. Go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. Please continue. 
No, I, I think please, please and, and that there's still some truth to that, right? But but the fact is, it was a little bit random. So I, I digressed. I apologize. But there's about 260 different telehealth companies out there, and so when you try to decide what's the right approach. I think it's yet to be proven. It, it's if you look back five years ago, what was going to be the personal device, or let's say 10 years ago, excuse me, what was the personal mobile device that, that was going to win? We all would have said BlackBerry, right? Everybody had a BlackBerry. Yeah. <laughs> and so now we all know that's not the case, right? What, what will we do with that? <laughs> you bet everything on BlackBerry. Well, you'd be out of luck right now. And so that's the approach that we're taking as well, meaning there are a variety of different platforms out there. They are all continuing to evolve as we speak um, to provide that more robust experience for doctors. And so what we're doing is really partnering with some of the largest telehealth and virtual health providers in the country to integrate into their experience. So almost think of us as, as aggregating across multiple platforms. And there's some really strong ones out there. Um, Doctor.com, VC, are two I'll just mention that that are our partners. Yeah. And the other piece about that is when you're launching a program, and I, you know, I've been doing this for a very long time. The last thing you want to do is try to change behaviors in a physician's office, right? They have protocols, they have, they have habits, they have procedures, they're creatures of habits, just like we all are. And so instead of giving them yet another choice or another new thing to learn, remember what everybody had to move to, to EHRs? That, that wasn't a process. And it's the same thing with, <laughs> I, I really do believe telehealth is, is the, the old EHR. It's a bit of a wild, wild west and very difficult for them to embrace. And so we're saying, hey docs, whatever platform you choose to use, we're going to provide the patient point content education and for our clients, the opportunity to deliver that branded messaging. And that may be a support message now or a patient savings message, right? Because to our earlier point, our belief and, and intuitively we're hearing this from business physicians as well. It may not be the place for diagnosis and certainly not the place for diagnosis for some of the, the, the more severe or, or chronic conditions. Again, any cancer type, you're not going to get that diagnosed via virtual health. You're not going to be able to do your blood work via virtual health. You can't get your sugar readings on virtual health. So yeah. it's a supplement and an extension of the care. And we want to be a part of that to deliver better care and better outcomes for patients and doctors but it is not a replacement for what we're doing in the brick and mortar space. And, and that's really kind of the fundamental strategy at the way we're looking at this and approaching it. That was a lot. So ask me questions. No, 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 no. Um, you know, what, to your point about, you know, platform agno you know, being platform agnostic, I think that's really the only approach at the, at the very beginning of this, you heard so much about like, well, telehealth is going to have its moment, but I think, you know, like you just said, that thinking, it kind of ignored the fact that, you know, okay, my kid has an earache and it's 10 o'clock at night. That's one area where telehealth is terrific. My kid has right. an earache and a fever and there's a city MD down the road that I could be at, you know, within 15 minutes. That's a different thing. You know, um, I think in a way expectations were too low for telehealth. Then they were too high. Now I think we've finally, finally kind of leveled off at the place where they ought to be. Yeah, exactly. And, and there's such a variance. I, I think, you know, there's not one version of telehealth. There is the patient initiated telehealth, right? Which is the patient initiates that too. 
any doctor. And, and that's the way that I would have gone about it, right? I have my own personal primary care physician, but I'd look at the back of my insurance card and we use Livewell. So I'd go on to Livewell and that was the telehealth visit. I had a doctor in Connecticut, didn't matter to me, right? So <laughs> one type of visit, um, and those are more to your point, kind of minor ER, almost urgent care. That's, <laughs> that's the way I look at it. But then you've got, you know, again, which is why we're trying to call it more virtual health, kind of the virtual health consult. So perhaps you've been in to see your doctor and you've gotten the, you know, you've had the lab work done and, or you already know you've been living with diabetes um, for a number of years. Perhaps some of those appointments in between or the in-between appointments can be conducted virtually. And that's a very different experience. That's more that virtual health consult between your designated doctor and you as a personal patient uh, of his or hers. And, and I think that's the one that we're really trying to get our hands on and, and be a part of. Um, and ultimately, whether or not this is accepted by payers and insurance companies and reimbursements is whether patients are going to get the same level of outcomes, right? Because now doctors are, <clears throat> excuse me, not compensated for services rendered. They're compensated based on value-based value care. So, I think it's a real opportunity for all of us in the channel to deliver that educational experience, you know, versus just getting on seeing it, getting antibiotic. It's here's some things to be mindful of if you have diabetes. Here's some things to be watching for if you have Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis or COPD, right? So you're getting that education while you're waiting for the doctor to come on that will be, provide better patient outcomes. And that's really what we want us to want to be a part of. Um, the, you know, the, it, it's interesting because, you know, there was sort of the sense, you know, we talked about this a little at the start of this conversation, but there was this sense of like, well, if offices are closed, you know, point of care is going to take a hit. But instead, point of care, I think more than almost any other channel has really risen to the moment, you know, of embracing Telesolutions, embracing pretty much anything. Um, you know, we've we've heard so much from CVS and Walgreens and how you know pharmacists have almost taken on a secondary role because you know they're available to answer questions when some doctors might not be. Um, what do you think that says about the you know point of care space heading forward? Um, you know, the fact that it was able to take this, you know, one of the most extreme things that could possibly have been thrown at it. And, you know, done so well to, that, you know, it took the proverbial lemons and made lemonade. <laughs> well, first of all, thank you for recognizing the industry in, in that positive way. You you guys are always so great and, and supportive. And, and we really appreciate that, not just a patient point, but as an industry that I'm so passionate about. Um, and I think you're right. I, I'm hopeful that this has really catapulted us into that, that um, perception of an industry that does have the ability to innovate and change our approach and respond to whatever the market, the, the market changes may be. And, you know, I go back to, there's, it's just such a foundational part of a marketing plan if you are any type of a healthcare brand. In order to get a prescription, which is what drives value on what drives volume and success for, for pharmaceutical brands, um, is you need a doctor and you need a patient. <laughs> and so <laughs> are you going to be able to influence that decision other than point of care? And so whether that's continued to be done in the brick and mortar walls or whether it's done virtually, you need to be a part of that experience in order to be successful. Everything else out there is a step removed. 
you know, broad TV campaigns. I mean, that's so interesting. And I was been doing a lot of reading about the impact and the decline in the upfront. Well, there are there are no live TV shows now, right? There's no there's no new broadcast. Everything's Netflix or everything's um, you know reruns because they weren't able to film do new filming. So is that really the best yep. place to put all your dollars? Um, and even if you do, by the way, even if, and I, I know there's a role for mass, uh, mass in the, in the marketing, overall marketing plans, don't you need that pull through at the actual moment where they're going to be focused? So I'm really passionate about this industry and, and hope that the, our ability to evolve and is really elevating us in, in the minds of all marketers. And to that end, I have one last question for you, Linda, and it's the it's the crystal ball question, which, of course, is massively unfair because the world is, you know, evolving every couple of minutes or so. Um, you know, the let's say we're having this conversation again a year from now. Um, where, where is point of care going to be in a very big picture sense? You know, kind of the bird's eye view. Um, I mean, I think most the, la the last time we chatted, I think I asked you whether point of care would come out of this stronger, weaker or just different. And, um, you know, I think stronger has been the verdict very much so far. But, you know, projecting this about a year into the future, what, what are some of the things we'll be talking about? Gosh, um, I hope we're, we're talking about it face to face, first of all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with beer uh, on the, the table. Glass, and, with a, uh, <laughs> right, with a cocktail in our hands, right? But, you know, I, I think the this industry and as in our offerings and point of care, um, are going to remain incredibly relevant and incredibly important. I, I look at this as a continuum of that patient journey and the ability and the need to really influence that patient wherever they are getting care. I don't think it's going to be a one or the other. It's not, do you do point of care or do you do telehealth? You do patient care, which encompasses both of those aspects. It's really wherever that patient is getting care, I do think we are going to see an adaptation and uh, then likelihood higher users and higher use base for virtual health. You know, there's some really interesting things happening in remote care management, which we didn't get a chance to speak to, but you know, the average diabetic patient costs a, a healthcare system or a payer, you know, 20 to $25,000 a year. So, you, there, again, this buzz in remote care management, could you then give that patient some of the diagnostic tools that they may normally only get in their doctor's office, in their home? Um, you know, if that's $5,000, you just saved a system $15,000 for patient care and providing better patient care. So I think remote care management as part of this virtual health experience is really gonna be a boom. And there's some exciting things happening. Um, Message Pro is a, another partner that we've been working with that's doing some really interesting, again, virtual health consults, remote care management. So look for that into that part of the industry in virtual health to really be booming. Linda, thank you so much for your time here today. I believe this is what, the second or third time that we've bugged you since all of this stuff has uh, has started. Um, let's do it again soon. Sounds great, Larry. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed the time together and appreciate the ask. All right. And for the MMM podcast, this is Larry Dobrow. Many thanks for listening and join us again next week. Be well. Take care.